You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Assalamu alaikum, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Radio Ramadan. This is Late Night Live. We have two special guests this evening. Um, I hope you've been enjoying Ramadan and the rosés. Our topic today for the second installment of Diabetes, this is going to be talking about lifestyle. You know, so we're thinking about what changes can you make to improve your health and uh, your lifestyle. So um, I'm going to introduce, again, Professor Jason Gill, who works at Glasgow University, has done phenomenal research in this area. And um, also, in particular, Dr. Nazem Ghori, who works with the South Asian community, who's done a lot of research in this area. And um, I will start with um, first plugging Dr. Angus Sterling before I, I, I bring in Dr. Jason. So Angus Sterling will be um, this person I've known for a while, I trust, who I've recommended a lot of people to help with the research he's doing in this important field. We want to we want to save lives. Uh, I know that sounds uh, dramatic, but honestly, it really is true. Um, and with their work, um, you know, they're looking at people ages 30 to 65 who don't have diabetes, who don't exercise a lot. You can email him, angus.sterling at glasgow.ac.uk. <laughs> angus.sterling at glasgow.ac.uk. Please volunteer. You'll make a massive impact. And the reason for this is so that our community can understand why um, you know, our muscles are different, why our oxidation oxidation levels are different. And I will introduce Professor Jason Gill, who will um, clarify this with great ease. Thanks, Niaz. So really, really good to be back. Um, um, so the work Angus is doing is um, a study to try and understand a little bit more about why South Asians are at high risk of developing diabetes. And we're specifically trying to understand what's happening in muscle. So, so one of the things that we, 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 we talked about in the, last, um, in, the, in the last show is that muscle is the sink for sugar in the body. So 80% of the sugar in your bloodstream goes into muscle. And so that if your muscle is not very good at taking up sugar from the bloodstream, that's when the levels of sugar in your bloodstream get too high and can, can lead to you developing diabetes. So we're trying to understand that the, the, the metabolism in muscle in, in South Asian men, we're, we're only studying men at the moment, men aged 30 to 65 who don't do much exercise, but might like to start doing some more exercise because one of the parts of the program is we're going to um, do an exercise intervention of, for 12 weeks to try and get people to be a little bit more active and be a little bit fitter and to measure the effects of that exercise training program on these aspects in muscles ability to take sugar out of the out of the bloodstream so so what we're going what we're looking for is we're looking for um, a group of men aged 30 to 65 who don't have diabetes or south asian don't exercise very much and we're going to make some measurements. We're going to do 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 a do a test to measure 
how well insulin works at controlling your blood sugar. This involves infusing insulin into a vein um, and, and taking, taking blood samples to try and work out how well insulin is working. We're also going to take a very tiny um, samples of muscle from the leg. They're called muscle biopsies to understand a little bit more what's happening in, in muscle. And then what we're going to do is to um, get, um, get half of the people that take part to do an exercise training program. And then we're going to measure measure this again. In the other half of the people, they don't get the exercise training program initially for the 12 weeks. But then after they finished, they will get the exercise training program. So everybody gets exercise training. Some people get it in the context of the study, some people afterwards. So if, if, you're, if you're thinking, look, I'm trying to get a little bit more physically active. I want to get a little bit healthier. This might be an opportunity to spur you into action. And, 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 and doing so, you're, you're also going to really help with the research to understand why South Asians have more diabetes and understand how we can intervene by improving our lifestyle to, to try and reduce that risk. Dr. Nazem, I'd like to introduce you. Um, um, tell us a bit about what you've been doing and um, how you know Dr. Sterling as well in the work that he's doing right now. So uh, for those that are unaware, I'm a consultant diabetologist in the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital and Great Carnival Hospital in Glasgow. My um, background is I have done my own thesis uh, with uh, Jason and I've been about, uh, started about 30 years ago now, it's around, around two to three years. Uh, and I've maintained, and my, my um, thesis was on a cardiometabolic phenotype of citations. Uh, so the, the broad kind of theme uh, I've just been involved with since uh, my thesis and various projects, uh, with reference to Dr. Jason, uh, sorry, to Jane McLaren's work and now to Angus's work. Now, Angus actually is one of the registrars who has worked with me uh, um, in terms of from a clinical perspective. So he's trained under us, uh, our team, for example. So I know um, Angus well from that clinical perspective and also part of uh, being part of the research team and one of the collaborators uh, in the study. And the other thing, advantage that I've got is that having already uh, recruited and done research associations, uh, I'm a known entity in the community. So it helps when it comes to recruiting for these studies because it's all about, as you know, as word of mouth, People involved. If you don't have the bodies in, we can't do the research. Uh, and uh, the way it works with all the citations when it comes to recruitment is familiarity. Uh, so the roots of recruitment that we might have for other studies or involve people of non-citation backgrounds may not be necessarily applicable to those of a citation background. Which, by the way, our community works. Okay. Well, look, thank you very much for that introduction. I wanted to um, ask Professor um, Jason. What kind of lifestyle changes? Because you know we're talking about diabetes and lifestyle. What changes are we going to have to carry out to make a difference, to make an impact? So, so broadly, broadly, there's two major things that you can do to try and reduce your risk of diabetes. So, the first one is to lose weight. So, there is evidence from a large number of very big randomized controlled trials um, across the world showing that if people um, um, who are at risk of diabetes lose five to seven kilograms in body weight, so if you're 100 kilograms and you reduce to 95, um, you reduce your risk of developing diabetes by between a third and, and, and two thirds. So that's um, uh, the first thing that you can do, and we can, we can explore a little bit 
later on in the program different ways that you might try and and lose weight um, and the second thing that you can do broadly is to try and become more physically active so there's two broadly different types of physical activity that we need to do the first is what we call aerobic activities this is activity where you're exercising your your heart and lungs so this is things like walking or cycling or running so the idea is we want to increase the levels of aerobic type activity which is um broadly in line with um, uh, physical activity guidelines saying you want to do at least 150 minutes of what we call moderate to vigorous physical activity per week um one thing that we can explore is maybe that number needs to be a little bit higher in south asians and other ethnic groups but the other thing that most people maybe are less familiar with is muscle strengthening activity is is hugely important there is really good evidence that people who engage in muscle strengthening activities so this is um things where you where you're lifting weights seems to reduce risk of developing diabetes and it seems to be what independently of the aerobic type physical activity so doing a combination of both aerobic type physical activities that's walking running cycling whatever you want to do the body's not fussy um you can do bollywood dance it doesn't really matter as long as you're doing things that get you out of breath and get your your heart your heart beating um do, doing things but also doing things which increase your your muscular strength and maybe something we can explore later on is what the best ways of doing exercises to improve your muscular strength and and the key question there we, we, we're doing some work on this with a phd student is how little muscle strength and the activity you can get away with because the, the evidence suggests that you need to do more than zero but how much more than zero might be less than you think so this is something where you can get a really big bang for your buck from doing a really really small amount of activity to strengthen your muscles as well as the aerobic type activity so to summarize three things lose a bit of weight Second is do some aerobic type physical activity and we can explore a little bit later on about um, how you might do that and the best ways of doing that. And the third is to do some exercises which strengthen which strengthen your muscles. And again, that's something we can maybe explore um, later later on in the program. Um, so lo losing weight would then have to do with what Dr. Nazem said in the previous show, which is, you know, try to decrease by 10 to 15 percent. And I, I've often been saying to the groups that I, you know, the, the cycling club I'm with, there's a fantastic cycling club in the south side called Mern Cycling Club. And, um, you know, whenever anybody's asked, I try to say, like, you know, think about, you know, decreasing by a third on your plate, fill your plate up by a third less. And psychologically, even if they do half of that third, you know, that comes to the 10 to 15 percent then. Dr. Nazem said, so that could, in the long run, work. And let's try this in the long run. Now, um, I I had an incident not so long ago where I was getting some tests done. I had a bad reaction to um, something that was given to me at the hospital. And I gained weight just over a two, three-month period over a Christmas. But last year, um, I, I pretty much lost 16 kilos um, and not, not that I was overweight, but just by doing exactly what you're, you both said. It's, and that discipline is not always very easy. And when people have talked to me, they said, I love going cycling. I love going to the gym, but I love food. Yeah, so, 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 so it's difficult. So, so one of the things that we see is 
how physically active you are and the effects of carrying too much weight seem to be independent. So if you are too heavy and you are physically active, you will improve your health and reduce your risk of developing diabetes and cardiovascular disease and, and a whole host of other conditions. If you lose weight, you will also get that benefit. So we kind of need to consider consider both of them together. Now, one of the things that's, that's, that, 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 that is also conceptually something that I think is important to say forward is how, if you're too heavy, what you do to lose weight, so if you're 100 kilos and you want to get to 90 kilos, what you do to get from 100 kilos to 90 kilos and what you do to stay at 90 kilos forever are probably different. So okay. what Nazim was saying about eating this 10 to 15% less is probably helpful at stopping you gaining weight and keeping the weight off. To actually initiate this weight loss, you probably need to be more aggressive. So what, what we one of the things that we, we, we need to really think about, this is where we're doing a where, where, where we're, we're, we're trying to understand this a little bit more. Is how to initiate weight loss and how to maintain weight loss are different. And, and what happens is they often get muddled together. Um, and there, there's been a very important study which was published a couple of years ago, which was done by um, uh, Professor uh, Mike Lean, uh, Professor Naveed Sitar in Glasgow, and, and also Professor Roy Taylor down in Newcastle, which, which took people who already have type 2 diabetes. And what it said is, can we get people who have already got diabetes to actually bring their blood sugar levels into the normal range. So what we say is put their diabetes into remission. So we talk about remission is the idea. It's like, like if someone's had cancer, what happens? They have treatment, then the cancer goes away. They're not cured, but they don't currently have cancer. So the same, so whether this concept is possible in diabetes, you take somebody who's got diabetes and they might be able to maintain their blood sugar levels in the normal range without any medication at all. And what they did in this study, it was called the direct study, is take people who had type 2 diabetes and got them to lose 10 to 15 kilograms in body weight um, and, 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 and then try and keep it off. And what they found with this study is that in people who undertook the intervention, 46% of them, about half of them at one year, had their blood sugar levels not in the diabetes range, they had normal blood sugar levels without any drugs. And the extent to the number of people that did that was, was dependent on how much weight they lost. So if they lost at least 15 kilograms in body weight, 86% of them, so nearly nine in 10 people who had diabetes that lost 15 kilograms, basically had normal sugar levels at one year. And the way that they did this in this study was they were quite aggressive with how they got people to lose weight. They used this approach called a, a total diet replacement, which involved for between 12 and 20 weeks, so between three and five months, what people consumed were these um, meal replacement shakes. So they're 200 calorie shakes, which contain all the fats and, 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 and vitamins and minerals that you need. So they had four of these every day. So it's 800 calories a day. They also had a little bit of vegetables. Um, so they had about another 50 calories. So they had about 850 calories a day. So really, really big um, uh, um, reduction in the amount of food they need. If you need on average two and a half thousand calories, a really big reduction. And what happened is they lost 10 to 15 kilograms. So they got the weight off. And then what happened is they, they then in, went into a weight maintenance phase 
about how to keep the weight off. So they reintroduced food, taught people to eat healthfully, the things that Nazim and you were talking about, about trying to reduce portion sizes, switching the things that you eat to eating more, more vegetables and, 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 um, um, uh, and less of the, less of the um, sort of the, the fatty and sugary foods, but talk, and, that, and that helped them to keep the weight off. But what we did there um, was consider the weight loss phase and the weight maintenance phase is two different things. And I think that's one of the things to consider. So these small changes that you talked about are really effective at stopping people putting on weight over time or keeping weight off. And I think if you're, if you're too heavy and you need to lose weight, you probably need to be a little bit more aggressive in what you do for a period of time and then move on to that maintenance phase afterwards. That's very aggressive. I mean, the way I did it, I remember Dr. Nazem was saying to me, and he has, um, you know, are you losing too much? So I wasn't aggressive at all, um, but I was aggressive in my activities. I was, um, you know, going to the gym at 6.30 in the morning, three times a week, cycling 120 miles a week. Wow. Um, and um, then on top of that, um, doing a bit of running um, and, and hiking up mountains. So he, he, he did a quick mental uh, um, calculation. He goes, you're not eating enough. And true, but I didn't feel hungry. I just did not feel hungry. If I did feel hungry ever, I'd fill that big massive gap with um, some Asian yogurt watered down. And that really helped. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. What's going on? Yes, that's, 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 that's really so. So basically what you're trying to do is create this calorie deficit and you can create a calorie deficit by eating less food. So what? So let, let's go back a step. You lose weight when you're burning more calories than you eat. So when you lose weight, that's always happening. You're burning more calories than you eat. And you can broadly do this um, in two ways. And the combination is probably best where you reduce the amount of food you eat or and or you increase the amount you burn. So what you did is you used an approach where you drastically increase the number of calories that you were burning and that works too um you, you um so 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 um so you can do it either way and other studies have shown basically that um there's been another study called, called the u-turn study which was done in denmark which basically showed that using the approach that you did you can get into diabetes remission as well and so, so in some ways it depends on what 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 works works for you and um if you are somebody that's in um, wants to do huge amounts of activity, that, that, work, that works too. One of the things that we do, so some, some of the other work I do is looking at appetite regulation and um, how, how exercise can actually help with appetite regulation. There's some, and there's some evidence that if you're more active, you can help the way that your appetite works. So, so one of the things that we, we, we do generally is we eat until we feel full, on average. You eat until you feel full. And, and one of the reasons why some people are or what actually one of the major reasons why some people are heavier than others is the way that their appetite works there are about um there's probably a hundred or so genes which have been um uh, found to um be implicated in obesity and body weight regulation and most of those genes are about how you regulate appetite so what happens is people that are heavier eat more food the reason they eat more food is the amount of food they need to eat to get to the sensation of fullness is more than somebody that doesn't have those genes. 
And um, so, so what happens is um, the person who says, well, look, I, I, I really struggle. They do eat more food, but they eat more food because they need, the, the amount of food they need to feel full is more than somebody else. Now, one of the things that exercise seems to do is to help restore that balance a little bit. So that if you exercise, the, 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 the relationship of how, how well your appetite works relative to how much food you need to eat seems to be a little bit better. So, uh, so one of the key things with, 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 with um, long-term regulation of weight is we find that people that retain their weight for a long time seem yeah. to be people that are, are, are increase their activity and are very active. And that's because it helps appetite to work better. Yeah. So the amount of food you choose to eat until you feel full is the amount of food you eat right. rather than the amount of food you choose to eat being more than you need to eat. So it's activity is really, really important long-term. Yeah, so I'm just to kind of come into there, I think we need to understand is that when you feel hungry, your stomach is a bag. It starts sending signals to your brain when that bag starts emptying. If that bag is bigger, then the signals will start sooner. Uh, so what we're, the, the, the effect of exercise almost, it kind of tempers that effect in terms of the, that, it's almost the antithesis to the, to, the, to the stomach feeling empty effect. I often have this conversation with people when it comes to fasting and Ramadan. They say, oh, I'm feeling really hungry. I need to eat. I won't have energy. No, it's because your stomach's empty. And I give the example of, say, for example, somebody eats a type of food which has a very low glycemic index, has a bowl of Frosties when you're keeping the fast. Someone else sounds something with low with a low glycemic index, say, for example, brown bread with some uh, with, a, with a bit of butter on it or something. The calories might be the same, but the former will make you feel hungrier quicker because it empties out your stomach quicker and that signal goes back to the brain. So we always have to understand there's a number of signals that are competing with each other in terms of trying to dominate in terms of what to change your behavior to eat. Uh, an exercise will temper that. Uh, uh, it, may, it may down the line, you know, seven, eight hours later, have a, a different effect because of your body replenishing its stores, but that's different. But in terms of the overall impact that exercise can have, particularly if it's not vigorously vigorous, if you like, is that it helps temper these other signals. Uh, so it's about understanding that when it comes to hunger, it's not as simple as is this signal or that signal. There's different things competing with each other and certain will dominate over other depending on how you how you generally behave. So yeah. Angus, sorry, no, sorry, 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 let's call you Angus um, and Nazim. Um, so one thing you concept there you raise, which is a really important concept that I just want to unpack, is the glycemic index. Um, so glycemic index is how much a, sh a food raises your blood sugar level. So if you if you just consume sugar, your blood sugar levels will go up really high. You can consume another food, say lentils, which might have the same amount of carbohydrate, the same number of calories, but that makes your blood sugar go up much less. And what we what we what we think is the foods which have high glycemic index, which makes your blood sugar levels spike up, seem to be less good at making you feel full because the sugar comes in and comes out very quickly, whereas the foods which release the sugar much more slowly seem to seem to seem to work better. So one of the things that we 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 know with diets is it, 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 stuff with diets is quite interesting. Um, um, is that a diet which has got a lower glycemic index? It doesn't cause these spikes in these spikes in um, um, uh, your blood sugar levels, and also has a bit more protein. Um, seems to be effective at helping sort of with long-term weight maintenance because you just it makes you feel a little bit fuller. Remember, your body's always fighting against feeling hungry, and so if you can make your body feel full 
with consuming fewer calories, that takes willpower out of the equation a little bit. Because one of the things is you can feel hungry for a period of time, but then you want to eat something. So what you want to try and do is damp down those feelings of, of feeling hungry. And one of the ways to do that is to have these foods which are lower glycemic index. And maybe after the break, we can talk a little bit more about and, and, and a little bit more and a little bit more protein. Thank you so much. Um, that's just so mind blowing. I mean, I think it's just psychologically trying to control your intake is one of the hardest things. And I have a tough time in, in encouraging my, um, my group guys in the cycling club. I don't know how to do it. Some of the guys are brilliant and they're very disciplined. And some of them just keep on saying, I love the food. It, you know, psychologically, it feels great. It feels great. The brain signals are telling them this is a luxury. This is an orgasm that's occurring in their brain and it's mind blowing them. And, and as a consequence, they need to work over this is what you're saying. Well, I think the other thing as well is that you want to change your lifestyle that you get to have your, your, your food orgasms without necessarily compromising the rest of your body. And I think that's why it's so important to look at the overall picture, to kind of look at the bigger picture in terms of you and your behavior over, say, a course of a few days a week. So it allows you to plan things. And as you and I have gone out for lunch, we've gone to Chilo's, and we've eaten a lot. But obviously, and you cover your eyes, but I have no guilt because, you know, often that would be, for example, I might be fasting the next day. Or it might be after I've been fasting for a period of time. You need to understand it's going to be give and take yeah. in terms of how you do things. Because, uh, for, and, and the thing is, we have to understand as well, for a lot of um, Muslims and Sassanians, they don't drink alcohol. Alcohol has a lot of calories in it. So, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a social thing as well. So they'll make up in other ways. That's just the way it is. So if you tell somebody not to do something, they're not going to listen. If you say, you know what, do it, but just maybe do it, you know, this way or that way, you're not taking control out of your life. You take control out of someone's life the psychological impact can actually offset any metabolic benefits from getting to do the right thing. So you have to get them to buy into that thing. And if you can sell it and package it in a way that will get them to buy into it, then that's what you want. Because it's not about, uh, in, the, in, the, in the studies that the direct study, there's a, there's a reason for that. Because you really need to hit the body, you need to make a change. So that because, you know, because of the nature of what you're doing. And once that's there, then it's a case of, you know, behaving in a way that allows you to benefit from that. So this is a two-step two approach. There's, you know, the going to the going with the hammer approach, which is needed to really make that change, to then allow you to enjoy your life down the line. Because if you, it's because if if you want to enjoy your life, and that came back to a point I made in terms of the public health message, this is for maintaining a healthy life or you know stopping yourself getting worse. But the idea is you may have to correct things first through a very vigorous or kind of uh, excessive way to allow you to potentially benefit from things. So when it comes to your, your um, having that conversation, it's about saying, look. I know that you want to do it and you will do it. We are creatures of habit. You're not going to go cold turkey anyway. But if you can kind of tie in and say, look, rather than do it three times a week, can you just do it twice a week or do it once a week or whatever? Or, for example, you know, fasting Mondays and Thursdays. So you, you, you're you having an, a couple of days in a week where you're eating less anyway. There has to be a bigger picture to it. And I think we've probably been guilty of being kind of giving too many specific messages, but not looking for thinking from a pragmatic perspective in terms of human being, human behavior, behavioral psychology. And this is where we're trying to shift to now in terms of you know getting people to buy into things so that when they make a change, they see the value in it. It's, sustain it's, 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 it's achievable and sustainable. We're just discussing a, just a key area which, which just baffles me is how do I shake some of my best friends into cycling more, into eating less, into changing their lifestyle, into saying, this is your life. Maybe maybe their wives have to pinch them and say, okay, we got to make an effort together for the family, for the kids. 
you know, a bit of psychology like that. But but they all keep on saying the same thing. I love my food too much. Yeah, no, this is hard. So, so one of the things that is lifestyle is really hard. Um, no, so 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 Nazim, Nazim, you'll come. Someone's got diabetes, or whatever. They'll come to the clinic, and and, and Nazim will provide to, uh, prescribe a drug which control your blood sugar. You just take this tablet, and that's quite easy to do. Whereas lifestyle, it's kind of something that encompasses, encapsulates your whole life. It's, you're always thinking about what you need to eat. You're thinking about what you need to do. So, so lifestyle is really, really hard. And we can talk about the biology, about what you need to do and what you should do. But it's a, it's a whole different thing about thinking about the behaviors that you need to do to sustain over uh, over time. Now, one of the interesting things around diet, for example, is there's been lots of talk about what the best diet is. So people do studies say, well, look, should you have a diet where you reduce carbohydrate, you, the sort of Atkins type diets where you kind of low carbohydrate is kind of a, it's a big thing now. And some people say, well, it should be a, a low fat diet and that's what we need to do. Or it might be this diet or, or, or that diet. And what you find is if you look at the data, at how much weight people lose on these diets after one year, it's actually exactly the same. So they did a, a meta-analysis, which is a study where you try to combine all the data from all the studies which have been done. And one, and it was interesting. So on average, in, in trials, which use low-carbohydrate diets and low-fat diets to lose weight, um, one of them, and I can't remember which way around, they lost 7.27 kilograms, and the other one was 7.25 kilograms. So exactly the same. And the really key thing is the biggest determinant of how much weight someone lost is how well they stuck to the diet, yeah. whatever diet it was. Agreed. So the key, so the key thing is sticking to the diet rather than what the diet is. So, so yeah. that tells you that so the, the behavior of actually sticking to it is important. So, so in terms of um, ma uh, maintaining or losing weight and everything, so I think one of the key things is choose a diet that you like. Choose choose one that you're going to stick to. It probably doesn't matter what it is, but as long as you can stick to it. And and we're interested in doing this work where we're. Uh, we're trying to set up some studies where what you do is give someone a choice. If the diet's not working, you change it. One of the things we know with diets is if you don't lose weight in the first two weeks on a diet, you're not going to lose weight on a diet because that's when you're most motivated to have the biggest effect. So one of the things that you can do is to um, uh, give people say, are you losing weight? If not, change it to something else that you that you want to you want to do. Um, with physical activity, the the interesting thing is like Niaz, you ride your bike a lot. You, 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 you're, you're aware of the health benefit that you get, but the reason you ride your bike is you get something else out of it. You enjoy it. You have fun. You catch up with your friends. You, you do all those things. So the, so the, the reason that gets you out on, on the bike tomorrow is not is you have the health thing in your background, but the reason is I get something else out of it. I enjoy it. It's part of my identity. It's all these all these these other reasons. So I think one of the things that we need to do when we're thinking about um, the lifestyle changes is. Do something you get something else out of as well. So something you enjoy, you, you catch up with your friends, it's part of who you are. Um, and the other thing that you can do is make it the default easy option. So we're doing a lot of work now to try and get people to commute actively. So leave your car at home for short journeys. So journeys up to maybe uh, uh, within a 20, 20 minute radius of cycling or walking. Can you cycle or walk rather than rather 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 than take the car? Because if you need just if you can cycle to work or cycle to the shops or walk to take your kids to school, um, you you get that in the day while you're doing something else. So even if you get busy and it's like hard and everything, 
you need to take your kids to school. You're going to get your walk in. So I think so. I think these I think these these two these two concepts are do something you enjoy and you get something else out of, and it's not just the chore. If you hate going to the gym, do something else, right? Because you're not going to keep doing it. You might be able to do it while the willpower works for for two or three months, and then you hate it and you don't do it. But if you enjoy something else, then that's great. We we just did a trial in um, looking at Bollywood dancing as a as a as a, as a, an intervention to try to get South Asian women. To be more active and they seem to enjoy it, it seem to work so it's something you might keep going to not because you're getting the health benefit because you enjoy catching up with your mates and having a dance so so i think these sorts of things are are, are important and it's something that we're not there yet with we we kind of we're doing better than we used to but we, there's still a huge amount of work that needs to get done to figure how can you get people to engage in lifestyle behaviors that are that are that are, hel that are healthy for them yeah. And the other thing as well, I think you made this very important point that social elements have a huge part to play. We are social creatures by and large. And they say people enjoy eating. So you know what it is? Sometimes what happens is if you, you know people like to get together to eat is before you'd get together to eat, but you wouldn't necessarily have, say, physical activity tied in with that. So you're not taking eating away, but you might actually co combine it with, you know, some kind of physical activity which expends some of the calories that potentially like you consume afterwards. It's about, I think sometimes we become too purist when it comes to trying to, you know, apply the biology, where it's about marginal gain uh, with it all. Uh, and I, I often give the example of myself, when I used to be a registrar before I became a consultant, I did a huge amount of walking as a medical registrar. I mean, the average would be, you know, 10, 12,000 steps a day. I didn't have to think twice, I could do that. When I became a consultant, it was very different. I was spending more time sitting down. And I realized, you know, unless I'm actually making more of an effort to walk and do things, something's going to have to give or my, or my trousers are going to give. So I um, said, you know, I want to cut breakfast out. And I went to two meals a day and I've been on two meals a day for seven years. Now what happens is it doesn't, you're, you're used to that. It also means that if I'm saying mentally that I want to have, say, 2,000 calories a day, I don't have to spread that between three meals. I can spread it between two meals. So, you know, I can actually enjoy some of the food I like. So actually what happens is I look forward to living this way because it means I can enjoy aspects as well. So I can go out with Inez and have a Chilos and, you know, Nine Nights uh, Burger and a milkshake after because that's me for like, you know, 24 hours potentially. So it's about having that, that control and understanding. But at the same time, and sometimes you have to explain to people, you know, if, for example, you wear a particular type of clothing that that's fitting, and then if you put on weight, that's going to either, you know, you have to alter it and have to get a new pair. That costs money. So you can actually, there's ways around when it comes to getting to people and telling you to understand what works for that person in terms of like that's less money to invest in cryptocurrency if you're buying a new wardrobe or 500 quid or whatever so it's about trying to understand the individual in front of you and understanding what moves them and then trying to engage with them and what moves them so that's why you have to understand that person first and then give the advice accordingly so if one diet's not working go to the other diet uh because you need to understand what moves them uh, and it's funny because jason mentioned that study i was actually looking at that study earlier because i was emailing about something as going back to that study which highlights uh, the thing and there's another study as well back in 2010 by the same journal, which actually shows the effect of little changes in calorie content over time and your weight. Uh, and terms of, you know, a, li a little reduction actually can have a huge impact over time. Uh, so again, there's that long-term uh, term vision and thing. The other thing as well is that if you're trying to get people to engage is that if you make it unrealistic or they see you as Hitler, unless you can, you can like punish them like Hitler, they're not gonna listen to you. Um question to both of you if you can answer it in about 30 seconds or less did exercise save my life so 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 
what you so one of the things I'm going to answer it in a slightly different way. Um, so if you if you take the London Marathon, for example, so you get thirty thousand people odd running, and then every every so often you get somebody who dies during the race. Every so often that happens, and then then, then there's a big talk about. Um, Running's not very good for you. You increase your risk of having a heart attack and should we do it? But what you don't realize is all the heart attacks that didn't happen for the other people that took part. So we know on average that being more active reduces your risk of having a heart attack by about 20 to 40%. So of the 30,000 people, you'd have probably had more heart attacks, fewer heart attacks in, um, uh, overall. But what happens is this one that occurs during the event you, you, kind, of, you kind of see. So I think that's that that might have been what happened with 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 with, with, with you, Niaz. That was the one that got that, that got seen. So I think I think um, being more active probably um, improved your your chances of recovery uh, after 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 you had your event. So so I think so I think it's it's on balance. It was probably a good thing that you you're active and you probably would have been in a in a worse state if you weren't. Yeah, and just that building on Niaz. Look, I know your family history. Okay, <clears throat> so the answer is. You probably thought you probably didn't have a fatal heart attack because of your exercise. It, you know, maybe your genetics are such that you were going to have a heart attack anyway. But because of what you've done, unlike with other people for whom it was fatal, including your father, it wasn't for you. Absolutely. Um, so, just to, for the listeners, um, not long ago, last year in November, um, I went for a, my normal cycle ride. I, I, I would do 100 to 120 miles a week, very fit. You know, um, and uh, a wonderful, uh, good friend of mine who's also a doctor, uh, Dr. Kashif, who won't mind me saying it, saved my life, finished the ride over 50 miles of it and um, gave him a call. He answered it uh, on his iWatch, got to me in six minutes, even though he had ridden with me, he'd go home first. And I had uh, died for uh, what uh, a good amount of time, 15 minutes. But I have to agree with both of you is, is that, and my point is, is that exercise helped, uh, as you said, the recovery helped to survive that moment as well. Having lower weight helps to survive um, such events as well. And uh, although it's a slight tangent, my point is just it's similar because diabetes is um, uh, threatening as well. You know, so so as in. A lot of the same lifestyle changes that are necessary will help, and I—that's that, why I brought this up. I, I want to example myself as a person that I've always been very healthy, but last year, you know, since this time, there were five to six other people who died of cardiac arrests within my circle. A number of them were 34 uh, and 40s, etc., and and so. Um, it, 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 it's in that respect, I think we need to wake up and be serious about uh, the discipline of the diet and the lifestyle. I'm, I'm going to hand it back to, to both of you um, and bring it back to diabetes. Um, uh, so, Professor Jason, uh, um, what what else can, can what else can we do to to encourage? I mean, you you, you mentioned these fun things uh, in terms of Bollywood dancing that you know you've you've helped uh, with. Um, what other projects? What's going? Because because you mentioned to me it's it's a layer of so many different things that are occurring simultaneously. Last time we talked, you said this. 
Yeah. So, 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 I mean, I, I was at a, I was at a, I was speaking at a, a, an event for Diabetes UK um, a couple of weeks ago, and it was a, a, I was talking about ethnicity and risk of diabetes and, and physical activity. And, and one of the things that we find is that if you look at the large diabetes prevention trials, um, and you you look at how much doing lifestyle intervention affected risk in different ethnic groups. What happens is lifestyle intervention is effective in South Asians at reducing risk, but it seems to be a little bit less effective than other groups. And if we look at weight loss intervention, so how much weight people lose on a diet, South Asians appear to lose weight, but lose a little bit less weight than, than other groups. And there might be one, or, one of two reasons for this, or it might be both of them. So the first is biologically, the effect of the same intervention is a little bit different. So South Asians go on exactly the same diet and lose a little bit less, less weight. But there's another possibility, which is the engagement with the intervention is less. So South Asians yeah. stick, stick to the diet a little bit less well. Um, and if you look at, there's a, there's a large um, national diabetes prevention program in England. And what you find is dropout from the programs higher in South Asians than other ethnic groups. So we think there's probably something around designing interventions better so that well, I use this word about culturally salient. So they're more culturally salient. So South Asians are more likely to stick with them and engage with them. So I think there's two things. One is the biology and the other is the behavior. Um, and, and this is what you're talking about. Why can't you get your why, all, all your cycling buddies to sort of change their diet? It's kind of how to change the behavior. So we need to get we need to get better better at doing that. And we also need to get better at convincing the person that does nothing to do something and say, look, this, look, you, you ride your bike, Niaz, it's not for me. This is not what I do. Right. How to get that person, not necessarily go and ride 120 miles a week, but to walk a little bit more. So how can we get the person that's doing nothing to do, to do something? And, and one of the things we see at a population level in terms of the benefits of a healthy lifestyle is the biggest benefit you get is from having a very unhealthy lifestyle to make it a little bit healthier. So if you don't do any activity today uh, at all, do it, the first little bit of activity you, you, you do gives you the biggest benefit from your health. And then doing more gives you a bigger, bigger benefit beyond that, but it's kind of diminishing returns. So how can we get the person that's doing nothing? I think this isn't for me. Look, this is for you. you. You enjoy riding your bike. I just want to do my own thing. How do we get them to do a, to, to, to do a little bit more? And I think that's one of the, that's one of the key challenges going forward. The other challenge, I think, is how to get people to stick with whatever they're doing. Like, like you, you, you stick with what you do, and and some of that is because it's it's riding your bike is a big part of your identity. It's who you are. So you see, so you ride your bike because because this is this is the sort of person I am. I'm the sort of person that rides a bike, and I enjoy enjoy doing that. So what we need to do is to try and help see ways that we can actually get people to embody the healthy lifestyle as part of who they are, because then they keep doing it. You don't need willpower to ride your bike. You enjoy riding your bike. It's part of what you do. And I think I think that's going to be one of the next big the changes that we need to do is, is, is to help people change the story they tell about themselves, the story they tell about who they are, so that it, it so, so that being a healthier person is part of that story. And I think um, this is really, really exciting. We're we're trying to initially start start working with people in the arts because it's not this isn't this isn't a this isn't a biological science thing. This is about the narratives people tell. You. This is a this is a social sciencey arts type thing. And if we can change those narratives, I think that's 
I think that's where, where there's going to be some really exciting work that's going to be done over the next the next um, the next decade or so. Dr. Nazem, um, what um, what do you say to your patients? So <clears throat> with I say to my patients, I actually try and understand them first. I let them tell me about them and understand them. And now, and as a consultant, because you you're, you're not kind of rotating, you get to see your you, you have proper chronic disease management. You get to see them more than once, a day, or you get to engage with them more than once. What I tend to do is because. <clears throat> particular type 2 diabetes, the postcodes I cover in Glasgow, a lot of them are cessation postcodes, the Pulp Shields area, the Gorbals area, part of Mary Hill. I try and get them in face-to-face, -face, uh, especially the young ones, so I can see them. They get to know me, I get to know them. And I get a feel for kind of what about them, what they look like, what what moves them, what motivates them. Once I understand that, and once uh, and once they've understood me, it's about understanding, okay, what is... What are those one or two things that they can do? So say, for example, I need to get to three or four things. I'm not going to ask them to do three or four things. I focus on those one or two things, low hanging fruit, to get them to buy in to like doing the right thing and buying into the advice being given by me. So that's what I will try and look at. And you try and package it in such a way to say that, you know, you're in control. Putting them in control, putting them in the driver's seat, but making them understand the benefit. And I try and use numbers as well to show that they're things are going in the right direction. Graphs, for example. Yeah. That's the advantage uh, with things like diabetes. You do a blood test, you can show them a number, you can weigh them, you can show them a number. Uh, the numbers sometimes are easier for people to grasp, particularly young people, uh, rather than, you know, oh, no, your, your, your risk of, you know, getting blindness or whatever is X or Y. They don't understand that. They're not interested in that. It's about showing them, look, this number has come down and this number is what's important. You know, this weight has come down. Um, uh, this is where you want to, you know, showing the color zones, you know, traffic lights, things that make the using aids like that. The other thing as well is I try and sell to them with their young diet, with the, if they're young and have diabetes, that you can put your diabetes into a remission, meaning that, you know, you, you potentially are going to become normal again. So you can say this label diabetes can come off you, but it requires you to make an effort to, to get yourself there and to stay in that range. The other thing as well is the way certain tablets work. So one tablet is very effective in causing weight loss. Actually, the glucose effect of it goes right down when the sugar is normalized. So what you can say is, look, I can, I can start you on this tablet. Oh, it's great to help you lose weight, but it'll, you potentially can come off this tablet as well. And, and you wouldn't need to take this tablet for the rest of your life. Uh, and, and you're saying that this tablet works well uh, with you. Because the thing with young people is that they've not been so far down the garden path that, you know, the pancreas has failed so much that they'll still need support, even if they kind of, lose weight and they're doing all the right things it's about demonstrating your stage in life where if you make the changes now it can have lasting benefits as opposed to temporary benefits or you know just uh, additive benefits so I, I try and engage with them um that way and i think a lot of it as well is that allowing them to kind of make mistakes and, and let them see for themselves so sometimes you know if I tell you now, don't do this, you won't listen to me. If you make a mistake and see for yourself, you're not going to make that mistake again. So sometimes you let them make a little mistake to show that, you know, you did this, your number's gone up. So I think it's a lot of it just tailoring to that individual. Um, both of you make a brilliant points of discussion here. Um, really appreciate it. I think the listeners as well will. Um, and that's where I'm going to lead on before we wrap up. Uh, we've got about five minutes left of the show. But um, I'm going to reintroduce um, Dr. Angus Sterling. Uh, he's going to be on our last show later this month. Um, and Angus, uh, Dr. Angus Sterling's uh, email address, because we'd like people who are ages 30 to 65 
who don't have diabetes right now, who don't exercise a lot. Um, this study is um, based on males, by the way. So if, uh, if uh, your husband, your son, you care about, um, and you know, needs to exercise a bit more, um, uh, my uh, guests today, um, well, Professor Jason and our future guest, Dr. Sterling, will be able to um, help. They're going to offer um, basically doing like a full MOT on the body. Um, and I've had one of my friends who's an super athlete, won't mention his name, but he's a super athlete. Um, and I think Professor Jason s said to me that um, no matter how much glucose he's given, he uses it all up, even excess amounts. Um, and, and so to me, that that's uh, motivation that, you know, we can all become like him. He, he was in poorer health a few years before this, um, before he made a change in his lifestyle. So um, this MOT means they're going to check you over. They're going to, um, uh, you know, give you access to a gym, put you in a training, and you'll see, like, before picture of your, of your health status, your body, your whole system, uh, and after status. Uh, I'm simplifying it for a reason because it should be noted that when you make an active change, even if it's a little bit, it can make a significant long-term difference. Um, Dr. Angus's email address is angus.sterling at glasgow.ac.uk. Repeat that angus.sterling at glasgow.ac.uk really really need your help if you're listening in and you're in the glasgow area glasgow suburbs please do help and reach out um we have just a few minutes three minutes left if i could ask um professor jason to you know wrap up for for a minute or two, and then Dr. Nazim as well. Um, we've discussed why diabetes, we've discussed um, now the lifestyle changes that are necessary, and um, I'll hand it back over to you. Yeah, thank you, thank, thanks, Nia. So, so yeah, so please, please, if you fit in the category of, of, of people that we're looking for for um, Anger Sterling study, please, please do get in touch. That's men age 30 to 65 who don't have diabetes and don't exercise very much. So I, I guess there's, there's, there's um, three things that we can do with, with, with our health um, to try and reduce our risk of developing diabetes. And these things actually reduce your risk of developing heart disease as well. So it's not just diabetes it, it prevents. These healthy things seem to work across all these different, all these different conditions. One is to try and lose a little bit of weight. So if you're, if you're carrying too much weight, Try to try to lose um we say at least five percent of your body weight. It's about five kilograms. More is better, but if you can get to that, that's a good target. Um, the the, the approaches that you can do um it seems to not matter hugely what diet you, you 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 go on, but you just need to stick to it. So choose a diet that you think you can stick to. If you want to get an initial big jump with weight loss, you can you can go onto one of these um total diet replacements where you're drinking shakes for um, just four 200 calorie shakes a day. That works really, really well if you want to get a kickstart and you want to get 10 or 15 kilos off, but you don't need to do that. And the other thing is be more physically active and, and be more physically active in two ways. One is aerobic type activities. So this is walking more, riding your bike, thing, things things like, or, or Bollywood dancing, whatever works for you. And then finally, do a little bit of muscle strengthening activities. With muscle strength activities, the amount you need to do doesn't need to be a lot. The, the, um, the, the key thing with this is 
You probably only need to exercise each muscle group once per week. Um, but the point is you need to exercise it to the point of fatigue. So if, for example, you want to exercise your chest muscles, you want to do press-ups, just do them once a week. You, just need to do them, you can't do another press-up. And then another day you can do squats just uh, until you can't do another squat. And then you can do sort of um, shoulder presses one day a week. Until you, and that will take you a minute. So maybe six minutes of exercise per week, once for your shoulders, once for your back, once for your chest, once for your abdominals, once for your, your glutes, and once for your, 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 your thighs. One minute per week of really hard resistance exercise until you can't do it anymore is probably enough to actually have a substantial benefit. So a bit of resistance exercise, which is the thing you might not have been thinking about, increasing physical activity and, and changing your diet to try and lose a little bit of weight are the few things I'd suggest. Thank you so much, Professor Jason. And um, we just have a, a little bit longer. Um, Dr. Nazem, if you could uh, give us your summary, please. Yeah, I think I'm not going to reiterate what you said because that's exactly the case. But I think the most important thing is when it comes to making change, you need to understand why you're making that change. I need to enjoy or find some enjoyment in making that change. Otherwise, that change will not last. Uh, and that's the most important thing. Now, whether you do it on your own or whether you do it as even with your family or with your friends, you have to identify what works for you. Uh, and the reason I'm saying that is by putting yourself in control, uh, uh, the ball's in your court to do the right thing. It's not about doing it for me. It's not about doing it because to tick a box. It's about doing it because you believe it's the right thing to do. Uh, and uh, hopefully with that perspective, uh, you at your own pace will eventually get to where you want to get to. Absolutely. Um, I think um, I really appreciate both your um, inputs today. We have uh, a show with uh, Dr. Nazem and Angus Sterling as well. Both doctors will be talking about why Will we, why do we treat high glucose, uh, preventing the complications of diabetes? Some more of the research uh, data that both will share. Um, and that'll be later on this uh, month, on I believe the 25th of April, hopefully. So uh, watch out for that show. Um, and really important that everybody understands, you know, it's not gonna be straightforward, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, just very little will go a long way. Um, we really appreciate your, your time uh, for our guests for joining us. Thank you all for listening. Please do return for our next installment and keep on listening to Radio Ramadan Live. Allah is and look after yourselves.